0: So I'll go ahead and just give you a disclaimer this morning and uh, as we're in this series today we're going to be covering uh, the second I am statement and uh, we're going to be talking about I am the good shepherd and, and you know there's a lot here and uh, so we'll just see how far we get today and maybe we'll pick up tomorrow, <laughs> no, pick up next Sunday. But we're talking in the book of John over the next several weeks, we'll pause in two weeks as we have a guest missionary then we'll continue on from there. But we're talking about these I am statements that came from the lips of Jesus. Last week we talked about that he said that I am the bread of life, that he's the sustainer, and that he satisfies. What I said was that I believe that these I am statements are like an author writing seven chapters to a book. It would be like putting seven pieces of a diagram together, or a child putting seven puzzle pieces together. And when you see these I am statements, these seven I am statements, you get kind of a perfect picture into the character and nature of, of God through Jesus. And one of the things that I just want to share briefly as we're going to continue on in this series, just kind of a doctrinal note, because I know that um, uh, it's over and over in, in the book of John, and, and uh, you know churches typically don't talk a whole lot about doctrine, but doctrine is important because it's kind of the foundation of, of our beliefs And uh, one thing that I want you to turn to in John chapter 14, this is just by way of introduction, verse 7, uh, it says, when you see me, you see the Father, or verse 9 says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So as Jesus is declaring like several weeks ago, when you see me, you're seeing God the Father, the Father and I are one. And uh, this is not a reference to uh, oneness theology. Oneness theology believes that, that God is kind of absolutely one with no uh, distinct persons that Jesus Christ is the fullness of of uh, the Godhead incarnate and we believe as a church that that the one true God is self existent the i am he's the creator of, of all things the redeemer of of mankind, but that he embodies himself. we saw in that in the song earlier it talks about the Trinity that that he, he's associated with three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught this throughout the Gospels. And a great reference for that is in John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus clearly references. He says, I, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you with and to be forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees nor knows him, but you Know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 10, uh, talking about the life of the Good Shepherd. I want to share just briefly, before we get to this portion of Scripture this morning, a bit uh, of the context. Because we see in chapter 9, verse 1, that Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem for a two-month period of time, kind of between the feasts of the tabernacle and the feasts of uh, dedication, we see that in, in John chapter 9. We see as, as the, the period of time, it's ending uh, kind of the period of time of Jesus' public ministry, the final stages are beginning to pan out, and we see that the religious leaders are ultimately rejecting Jesus, and, and we see that they're not uh, for what he's standing for, they don't believe that he's the Messiah and so forth. And it's interesting, you know, that, that when you read the context of chapter 9, and and verse in chapter 10 that there's no new audience that is suggested or mentioned so you can come to chapter 10 with the conclusion that Jesus is primarily speaking to the Pharisees in chapter 10 of the book of John though others i'm sure are there as well we also see this because there's a reference to the healing of the blind man and and the demon possessed that Jesus also mentions in chapter 8 and so it's important to keep the audience as we approach chapter 10 uh, in mind. Our key verse this morning is John 10, 11 through 12, where Jesus says, I am, say he is, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Shepherd and sheep, shepherd and, and sheep, we see this over and over in John chapter 10. And so it reminded me of a story I heard uh, years ago. And uh, there was a a blonde lady that uh, was just kind of sick and tired of the stereotypical blonde jokes. Have you heard those before? You ever see the picture of the blonde corn maze where it's an empty field with one corn stalk in it, you know? But she just kind of got sick and and tired of the blonde stereotypes. So she decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and dye my hair red and see how this thing goes. So she goes out, she dyes her hair red, and, and she gets in her car... The following day and she's driving through the countryside and comes across this large pasture that's filled with a bunch of sheep. So she pulls her car over and she's thinking, you know, I'm going to test this out, see, see what's going on. So she pulls over, kind of gets out of the car and the shepherd comes over and this redheaded lady at this point says, If I can guess the number of sheep that are out grazing in this field today, will you give me one of them? And the shepherd, knowing exactly how many sheep were there, he just figured, you know what, there's just no way she's going to guess. He said, so, uh, yeah, sure, if you can guess, go ahead, you can take one of the sheep. And she said, okay, 264. And he's standing there like, oh, my goodness. How did she got it right. And he's kind of beside himself, he's like, go ahead, pick a sheep. So she grabs the sheep, kind of opens the back door of her car, puts the, she- puts the sheep in the car. And she's feeling pretty good about herself, you know, not stereotypical, you know. So she's getting ready to pull off with this sheep. And uh, he kind of comes over and he taps his, you know, little staff on her window. And he says, I got one last question for you. If I can guess your real hair color, will you give me my dog back? And uh, it's called artificial intelligence, right? (laughs) My wife is blonde, so. (laughs) Sheep and shepherds, sheep and shepherds, sheep and shepherds. We come to this portion of scripture and it's like, what's with sheep and and what's with with shepherds? And so we're going to talk a bit about this because it's very, very significant to the life of Jesus as he's defining himself. He's saying, I am not just a, a shepherd, not just an okay shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, sheep in that particular culture, and the economy of Israel, were, were very significant. They would produce meat and milk and wool for clothing. They were an integral part of that society. Many families, kind of their economic standing was based on on the number of cattle that they owned, and that would uh, be the number of sheep and goats and so forth. And they were used in many trade deals, so they would trade, you know, animals and so forth, because back then it was just kind of that's what you did. And so sheep, just like bread, was a very relevant topic, sheeps and shepherds and, and so forth. So as Jesus is, is declaring this, there's so many pieces to him declaring that he's the good shepherd. And I don't know a whole lot about sheep, honestly. Every once in a while I'll take my kids to Penn State and do kind of the fun, you know. Look at the animals for an hour and then get out of there. But I don't know a whole lot about sheep. But there are a couple of things that I know. First of all, number one is they're dirty, and it just appears that they really can't do anything about it. To me, sheep look defenseless. They they have no means to protect themselves. They're not only dirty. They're they're not only defenseless. They're dependent. Some people say that they require more attention than any any other animal. And then just to throw another one in there. They're just dumb. I mean, I just, sheep are just not uh, highly intelligent creatures. And so, in the time that Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, he, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep was very specific, it was very special, it was very personal. And so, Jesus is painting this vivid picture to the Pharisees who, clearly knew that shepherds would, would have a flock of 10 or would have a flock of 50 or perhaps several hundred. And they clearly knew that shepherds and sheep were very personal. They, they knew one another as the, as the shepherd would cry out, the sheep would know the shepherd's voice. And so we're going to read for a bit uh, in John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21. And so you can turn there and just stay there for a while. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Very truly I tell you Pharisees, so it's a reference that he's speaking to the Pharisees, anyone who does not enter to uh, the sheep pen by way of the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Verse 2, the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out all his own, he goes on ahead with them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice, verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger, in fact, they will run away from him, because they don't recognize the stranger's voice, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them, therefore he said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, again, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So the first section of this chapter in the book of John is is, is Jesus is talking about gates. And this is interesting. It's fascinating to me because if you study the particular city of of Jerusalem, Jesus is standing in a very specific place where hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Nehemiah says this in chapter 3, verse 1, says the high priest and his fellow priests, they went to work rebuilding the sheep gate. So Jesus is representing sheep and he's representing and he's saying, I am the gate. And hundreds of years prior, the prophets are recording that they're rebuilding and they're working on the sheep gate. And so what do we know about the sheep gate? Because it's referenced near the pool of Bethesda as you read through scripture. And we know that this gate is many scholars believe that it was the first gate that was built in the temple area where sheep And lambs would come and they would be offered. They would be brought into the city by way of the sheep gate as a sacrifice. So once they went through the gates, they would enter the the temple courts. And, you know, there was only one gate that they would go in. And then they would be split up into two. And no one would, would enter through the sheep gate. No animal would come in and would go out. But they would come in and they would be sacrificed. It was a place of... No return as they were being sacrificed for the sin of of men. And so now Jesus is saying, not only am I the shepherd, but he's getting to that. And he's saying, I am the gate. Basically, he's referencing the cross saying that I am the sacrifice that will be made for the sins of the people. Which is why John, it begins in chapter 1 as Jesus is entering the city. In verse 29, he declares, he says, look, the lamb... Of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is referencing that he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the sinless lamb. He is the gate that provides access to the Father. So not only he he declares that he's the gate, but he goes on to talk about being the shepherd. But in him declaring that he's the gate, that he is kind of the final sacrifice that once and for all, that that gate is no longer a one-way gate, but there's a shift that takes place, and now people can enter in and out of that gate. So we take this significant shift in verses 10 through uh, 19 as he talks about being the good shepherd, and that's where we're going to focus this morning. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not part of this sheep pen. And I must bring them also They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. And so we have this split. He's talking about being the gate. And now he's talking about being the shepherd. And last week, as Jesus was declaring, I am the bread of life, we saw that the Jews began picking up stones. Jesus had revealed what was in their heart. They're provoked to the point that they want to stone him. And he kind of slips away. And so now as he's declaring that he's the gate and he's talking about being the shepherd, look at the response in verse 19. The Jews who heard these words again were divided. So... Now there's two things that were revealed in their hearts. It says many of them thought that he was demon-possessed and he was a raving man. They're saying, why should we even listen to this guy? He's absolutely crazy. But then there are other people that are saying... These sayings don't really come from from someone that's like a demon-possessed person. How can a demon perform miracles is what they're saying. How can a demon, someone that's under the influence of a negative spirit, an evil spirit, how can they open blind eyes? And so now they're kind of divided as Jesus is declaring these words because there's something that makes sense about what he's saying. There's something that's coherent. So he's clearly not possessed, some people are saying. There's something about his nature. This man is going and he's performing signs and wonders. And how could this this be? And he's saying that I am the good shepherd. And what do good shepherds do? What I believe is you're going to begin to see as you study this text is, is, the, is the background of, of shepherds in the Old Testament. The Jewish people clearly understood bad shepherding. And as you read through the history of, of the Jewish people and the leaders that were referred to as shepherds, uh, you will clearly understand why Jesus is now standing in the New Testament and he's redefining what shepherding looks like. Because for hundreds of years, they had these stories that were passed on from the Old Testaments, words that were written by the prophets about the rulers of Israel that were more interested in feeding themselves and caring for themselves than they were for the people. A couple of Old Testament references you can write down is in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4, where it talks about the Old Testament uh, shepherding and, and how it was destroying the flock. You'll see in the book of Isaiah, it talks about these shepherds lack their own understanding, that they're more concerned for themselves. You see it in the book of Ezekiel where it says that they're ruling them harshly and brutally and the people are being scattered and so these individuals as Jesus is declaring that he's the good shepherd they clearly understood the history of of Israel and that the shepherds in the old testament were kind of ruling with an iron hand and the people were confused they were afraid they were terrified they because they had kind of received a lack of concern from the shepherds And they're eagerly awaiting the Messiah. They're waiting for scriptures like Isaiah 40 verse 11 that's on the screen. That this Messiah, the Bible says, that's going to come. He's going to tend to his flock like a shepherd. He's going to gather the lambs in his arm and he's going to carry them closely to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so these scriptures, many years have, have passed on. And so basically, in modern vernacular, Jesus is, is saying, I am the good shepherd. He's basically saying, I am that shepherd that you had been longing for for hundreds of years. And he's going to go on to kind of redefine what good shepherding look like, looks like. He says, I'm different. I'm, I'm unique. I'm the good shepherd. And as he's doing this, the religious leaders of the day are extremely provoked. Because the spirit of religion, it really focuses on me, my role, position, authority. And these religious leaders that Jesus is declaring this statement to, they believe that, that, that they're thinking that God was in charge, that you know, King David was their shepherd. And now Jesus is declaring they viewed themselves as the shepherds of the people of that particular day. And they're irate. They see it as complete Heresy because Jesus is saying, No, I'm a good shepherd. And in him saying, I'm a good shepherd, he's saying to the Pharisees, You're very, there's very little difference between you and the Old Testament pattern and and history of the bad shepherd. And so you can easily see why they would be frustrated because, in essence, he's telling these Pharisees, You're no different than everybody else. So in verse. 12 through 13, Jesus is contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the day as he's referencing hirelings who are not concerned or cared for the, for the sheep. And so it's interesting, the shepherds in, in the Bible times, they carried two kind of pieces of equipment with them. The first that they would carry was like a two to four foot rod. It was meant for protection. Many of you that grew up watching Western movies, they would take the revolver, right? Right? And they would call it a slang word, was was the rod. It was used for protection. So the shepherds would have this two to four foot uh, kind of rod that they would carry with them. It was basically like a club. And they would wear it in their belt and they would walk around. That was kind of to protect the sheep and so forth. But then the other thing that they would carry uh, is a staff. It's interesting now that the Pope is in the U.S. that many of the bishops, they carry staffs. And they, they're obviously not wooden, they're these really fancy things now, but, but what they do is actually the outside of the staff, when they're in their particular territory, uh, it faces out towards the people, and then when they come into another area where they are not kind of the leader of those particular people, they will turn them in. You'll notice that sometimes as you see the bishops, many of them will not that we're studying Catholicism or anything like that, but they, it's just interesting. They, they, will, they, will, they will turn it in when they're in an area that's not their quote-unquote jurisdiction, then they'll turn it out. Anyway, that's free. So anyway, so, so, so they had a, a rod and then a staff. We see this in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil with me, for you are with me, your rod and staff. They, they comfort me. So there's a lot of correlations in the shepherd's staff. And the first thing that you see with the shepherd's staff is, is that the shepherd's staff is used in, in drawing the sheep together in kind of an intimate, uh, intimate connection. And what would happen is many times in the flock, many lambs were being born in that particular you know, season. And what they would do is if a ewe would, would become detached from where a mother was, what the shepherd would do is he wouldn't reach out to try to grab it with his hand because he could contaminate it. And the, 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 um, the lamb would not feed properly from the mom. And so what the shepherd would do is he would take the staff and I won't make Mark play lamb this morning, but, but the shepherd would take the staff and he would gently, not like in a choking, but he would gently lift that lamb and he would relocate it to... Where the mother was. And so it was a source of kind of protection. It was a source of of caring as he would lift and he would relocate it. We see that the shepherd's staff was also used in the counting process. So the sheep many times would pass under. You say, well, how do you know this? You know, you could study this through history. But anyway, the sheep would pass under the staff. And the shepherd would use it as a counting mechanism. It was a very personal thing. It was a very uh, important piece to, to his role. So it was a counting mechanism as he would carefully inspect the sheep. If something didn't look right with the sheep or there was an area of concern or it was limping or whatever was going on, he would take and he would use the other part of it and he would draw the, him clo- the, he would draw the sheep close to himself and he would care for the sheep because they had a very personal connection. The staff was also used kind of the third way among probably many others is that he would use it to point them in the right direction. Not as a kind of, you know, but as the sheep were were, were moving, and, and if one of them kind of got off course or whatever, he would gently tap it in the side. It wasn't like a club where it was like, whoosh, you know. It was just a very gentle tap. And through that relationship, he was able to guide uh, those sheep. But the staff was not kind of the source of, of protection. That was what the club was used for, but the staff was used... To care for the sheep that have been entrusted uh, to the good shepherd. And so now Jesus is staring at the Pharisees. And he's saying, I am the good shepherd. And in that, he's saying so many uh, things. And there are three that I want to share with you this morning. Three characteristics of the good shepherd. He's not just saying, I am a shepherd. He's not just saying, I am one of many. He's saying, I am the Good shepherd. And I believe what he's doing is he's reestablishing what the role of the shepherd looks like. And so this is an important leadership thing because all of us, I believe, as a follower of Jesus, you are a leader. You may be a mom with children in the home and there's leadership elements in the home. You may be an employer and you have many people that are direct reports to you and you're a leader in your place of work. Perhaps you're a leader as a foreman on the job site and so forth. But it's very important that when you study the area of leadership, that I believe leadership ultimately finds fulfillment in the New Testament. There are many leadership books. I, I have a lot of leadership books in my office that I that I love and I read through. And there are many leadership books that will take elements of, of Old Testament leadership and they will there are wonderful pieces to Old Testament leadership. But I believe a true book that is, is focused on the topic of biblical leadership must link and reference how that leadership is ultimately fulfilled through the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And so there are many leadership books that are, that are out there, and if you ever have any questions, I can point you in, in the direction of some. But it's very important that, that they ultimately reference how leadership is also defined uh, in the area of, of fulfilled in the New Testament. It's important because there are passages of Scripture where in the Old Testament, ultimately submission was power and position. And yet when you look at the fulfillment in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there should be there's such a reverence that you and I have a relationship with Jesus that there's this element of, of mutual submission And Christ, I believe, is ultimately redefining and reminding the Pharisees of what true shepherding looks like. And to be honest with you, it's completely uh, in conflict with our many uh, people's worldviews and their definition of leadership. But but the Bible pretty much goes against the grain of almost everything in our society, doesn't it? Somebody once shared a great definition with me. They said that a godly leader finds strength By realizing his weakness. Finds direction by laying down his own plans. Finds vision by seeing the needs of others. Finds credibility by being an example. Finds loyalty by expressing compassion. Finds honor by being faithful. And greatness by being a servant. And so now in Jesus referencing himself as a shepherd, you see the ultimate shift now in the New Testament. Where in the Old Testament, it was power, it was position, it was authority. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, we're not going to start with titles. But we're going to start by giving you towels and teach you what it looks like to serve your way to greatness. Three specific things that I see in this text, among many others, is that the good shepherd is willing to sacrifice. Jesus begins... In verse 11 in this text, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then immediately, he says, a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Maybe your translations say giveth. In essence, it means lay down. And so in this statement, Jesus is, he's contrasting what the Pharisees understood. Because the Pharisees and the Old Testament pattern, it was leadership really was focused on the individual. It was focused on the person, and and Jesus is now saying, you know what? It has very little to do with the personal interest. It has very little to do with personal gain. That these bad principles have now led to bad practices, and the Old Testament shepherds had led. By oppression, they were concerned about themselves, what was in it for them. And Jesus is now saying, no, the, the good shepherd, he's saying, is ultimately willing to sacrifice for those that he leads. We see the wonderful example where, where, where Jesus is, he, he pauses the 99 because he's concerned with one sheep. You'd say, why would he care about one? Because he's good that over and over in the Gospels I've been saying that he pauses the crowd like Zacchaeus and so many others to minister to the one. You can't ever become so big in, in God's kingdom that you you lose the value and the leadership of one. Jesus, the heart of the shepherd, is always chasing after the one. And he's talking about sacrifice And ultimately, he's alluding to the cross where the good shepherd is going to sacrifice and give his life for the sheep. That The cross is the ultimate picture of God revealed in Christ Jesus, the good shepherd who's willing to sacrifice such a degree that he's going to give everything. He's not merely pointing in the direction, but he's leading by example. That no sacrifice is Too great. No cost is too high. Paul says God shows or he demonstrates his love for us. Romans 5 8, that while we were yet sinners, he died. That he took that first step. And you've got to picture this because as he's talking to these Pharisees in the New Testament, you've got to think about it. He's in the shadows of the temple grounds where these sheep were being raised in the shadows of, of the temple areas for the sole purpose of being sacrificed. And yet now Jesus, who's the perfect, sinless sacrifice, is now standing in that same area, and he's declaring with his lips that he's going to lay down his life. I think the questions that I would say are this. So what is the, the, the natural thing that you and I should be willing to sacrifice, to see his kingdom established through our lives? What are we holding to so closely that you and I should be willing to surrender sacrificially, openly, that the good shepherd leads through sacrifice? The second is that the good shepherd is filled with sympathy. We see on in, in the gospel of John that Jesus saying he's The good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. But what follows is he's not necessarily talking about sacrifice, but we see the deep care and sympathy that he has for the sheep. Here, Jesus, again, is contrasting with the the history of the bad shepherds in the Old Testament. And now he's alluding to the Pharisees being the bad shepherd. Where in verse 13. He says the hireling or the hired hand does not care for the sheep. Jesus is basically saying that there are these people and he's referencing that the Pharisees are these people. And he's, he's, Jesus is like, he, he doesn't hold anything back. He's looking them in the eye and he's saying, you're being paid to work. You have very little interest for the sheep. You're concerned about yourself. And he's looking them in the eye and he's saying, you, they're a bunch of, of hirelings, that the hired hand doesn't own the sheep. He's not vested in them. So there's this lack of the deep affection because he doesn't identify with them. And Jesus is now saying, in me is the good shepherd and I know the sheep. In verses 27 through 28, he says, they are mine and I am theirs. Basically by surrender and sacrifice. And here's how he says it. He says, they listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never or they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand this word that's used this no word in the original language is not an intellectual no but it's an experiential no and it's used kind of as a jewish idiom for the f- describing uh, physical intimacy between a husband and a wife it's not head knowledge but it's experience And so Jesus is saying, I know, I know the sheep. And when it comes to this area of leadership, I believe what Jesus is doing is he's saying that this knowing that there needs to be a level of openness and transparency in all of our lives. I want to challenge you as you're trying to, to share the gospel, you're trying to represent Jesus. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a leader by nature. I think there is very healthy times that you lead by example through openness and transparency. There are many times as you're you're sharing your faith with someone, they're, they're looking for testimonies. They're looking for stories of God's faithfulness. They're looking to see that, you know what, at the end of the day, none of us are perfect. And as you share with this level of of open, openness and transparency, what I believe you're doing is you're, you're letting the guard down for people because you deeply care that they know Jesus. You deeply care, and it's in your vulnerability and your transparency that Jesus many times uses those conversations, and he works in, in people's lives. Look at the personal pronouns. I know my sheep, and the sheep know my voice. I came that they may have life. I lay down my life for them. They follow me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You just kind of get this sense of the incredible bond that Jesus has as the good shepherd with the flock. It's profound because it's personal. It's strong. He deeply cares for them. In verse 15, he says, Just as the Father knows me, I know my Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I believe that once you begin to discover this in in your life as a follower of Jesus. How well he personally knows you the more and more, how could we not surrender everything to him? The more that we realize that he knows us at the end of the day, I mean, as far as the east is to the west, the north is to the south, God knows you and I so personally. Many people, you know, I've been conflicted this week with the Pope being in our country because just of the fascination and the wonder and the awe. And just this is personally me, but I feel like our nation is welcoming the symbol of religion, and yet they're kicking the sacrifice out the back door, and they're saying, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. The Pope's not the gate. He's a mere man. And many Catholics believe in Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing. But he's not what gives you and I access to the Father. As, as amazing it is for him to lay hands on children and, and to kiss them and him bless them, that you and I, through what Jesus did, we have full access to God. But please don't confuse the wonderful celebration of the symbol of religion in the country and say, thank Jesus that he's welcome in our nation. Make no mistake. Those are very different things. And yet the good shepherd is so filled with with sympathy. The final thing that we see is that the good shepherd is always searching. It begins in chapter 10 with him calling out his flock then in verse three it says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for he, for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out so what's implied here is that there's more than one sheep uh, one, more than one flock in the sheep fold at night I want to describe uh, what this looks like because the sheep in this in this area it's almost like they're they're, they're numb to the voices of all of the other shepherds Except their shepherd And so most scholars believe that the sheepfold It was kind of a large circular enclosure It was a high stone wall <clears throat> To protect uh, the animals and, and many times there was wires or whatever At the top of those things But, but in the day the shepherds would take the, the sheep Out to the fields to graze and so forth But at night they would bring the flocks back To a common sheepfold where they would spend the night together. And there was one doorway into the particular sheepfold, and it was guarded by a doorkeeper, whose responsibility was basically to protect them uh, at night. And they say that many times, historically, they would actually lay their bodies down, which is interesting that Jesus is is, is laid down in a, in a tomb. But they would lay down across the gate, and they would sleep there at night so that a thief would not pass over the, the gatekeeper and a sheep would not cross over and so then many times thieves and robbers they would try to scale the walls to pull sheep out of out of the sheep pen but here what what it's saying is that basically in the morning the shepherds would come they would come to that gate they would come to the and Jesus says I'm the gate but but he but they would come and that they would call out to the sheep and immediately because of the personal you know, a connection between the shepherd and the sheep and the relationship that as soon as the shepherd would speak, they would begin to separate. And so as he would call them out, they would they would begin to gravitate towards that particular gate and he would lead them on. And then if a voice that was unrecognized was calling to the sheep, they would know not to follow that particular shepherd. So it's just amazing and it's interesting to me that Jesus is saying this in verse 16. And then he goes on, he's saying, I have other sheep that are not part of, of this particular pen as well. And so as he's doing this, basically, he's, he's talking about calling out uh, you know different, he's talking about calling out uh, from Israel, but he's also talking about now that there are sheep that are outside of this particular. He's talking about reaching the Gentiles. He's talking about that the true shepherd is caring for everyone, and, and that he's reaching and he's searching for, for other sheep. The shepherd is, is leading by sacrifice that he's filled with sympathy and that he's always, always searching. I think they're great leadership principles. I think they say a lot about our, our, our good shepherd that in Jesus, that he's going to sacrifice for me, that he's going to have sympathy for me, and that he's searching. One of the things that the Lord just personally is. I just spend time in my devotions more and more the last couple weeks. I just kind of, the Lord's just stirring me more and more about the grace of God that's chasing people down. That the good shepherd's not just concerned about those that are in his flock, but but that he's searching, that he's rescuing, that he's always looking out. That he'll pause the crowd, he'll minister to the one, and that he's always searching and he's always rescuing. As the worship team comes back today. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, the Lord is what? My shepherd. So I was praying about uh, today. There was just a really specific area that I want to pray and call us to focus on this morning. So would you stand together? We're going to do this together as a group. But as Aaron just begins to play...